Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to this conversation on ableism. And I'm joined once again by Clement and Nika. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. All right. So we're going to talk about internalized ableism, which I will define. When a disabled person discriminates against themselves and other disabled people by holding the view that disability is something to be ashamed of or something to be hidden or by refusing accessibility or support. And I realized as we were planning for this episode that I actually have a lot of internalized ableism and it's impacted me quite a bit in my life. And that was a surprise to me. I would say the same thing. Yeah, I agree. So one of the thing, one of the first things I think for me was not wanting to use a white cane. And I fought this like into my thirties. I just, I would carry it folded. I would only use it in situations where I was, you know, really unfamiliar at night in the dark, because I thought if I can't see in the dark, nobody can see me. (laughs) Um, I would use it, you know, when I absolutely had to, but I was so ashamed and embarrassed to use it around anybody else, anybody who could see me. And it's because of the stereotype I had in my own mind of what blind meant. And some of those assumptions we talked about that blind people are clumsy or helpless or I don't know, you know, most mostly those two things, which was enough for me. Yeah, like I can relate because I didn't start feeling confident using my cane until maybe my late teens. And I think A lot of it came from I felt more liberated walking without a mobility device. And now where I'm at now, it's like it's way more liberating to actually be able to walk safely and confidently and know when something's in front of me. I actually thought people would be embarrassed to walk with me if I had my cane. Like friends in high school, I would just Mm -hmm. go sighted guide. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I I thought if the cane's there, they're going to be they're going to be embarrassed or they're going to feel weird about that, even though I was the one feeling weird about that. And nobody ever said, don't bring your cane. I don't know if you guys have had the experience of actually having somebody say, don't bring your cane. Um, But it it didn't matter. I just felt like, oh, they're not going to want us to be seen together. They're not going to want to be seen with me if I'm blind. Oh, you just, you just reminded me of something. In elementary school, I was going to sing a song at an assembly and my music teacher said not to bring my cane with me on stage because it would look unprofessional and I wasn't allowed to have a guide because that was unprofessional and I was fine getting up there then when I walked back to my seat I knocked like I walked into a microphone and knocked it to the floor in Mm. front of the worst thing to knock over in a concert venue with a microphone at at remembrance day too so oh yes and that was way worse than being up there with using your cane right like yeah absolutely 
so frustrating. You know, I did not get comfortable using my cane until I sort of learned from somebody cited, like my story, it's kind of this crazy story, but an ex-boyfriend when, when we had met, uh, it was like our third date and we met at the SkyTrain station and he got there first. So I didn't have time to fold up my cane and he grabbed my hand. So we were walking together. He's holding my hand. I can't fold my cane because my hand it takes two hands to fold a cane. And we're walking through Chinatown in Vancouver and and I'm dying inside feeling like, oh, he must be so embarrassed. This is awful. Like I'm, I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to do. And he said, this is so much better. Everybody's getting out of our way and I don't feel responsible for you. Or I don't feel as responsible for you. And it was like, he gave me permission in that moment to use my cane. He was telling me I actually prefer it. And from that moment on, I've used it. So, but it's like, I needed somebody cited to validate that it was okay for me to be blind, which is so messed up. And but, that, that, that really is the worst kind of internalized ableism, isn't it? Is there yeah. something, there's something about our disability that uh, is, is hard to accept until a sighted person says it's okay. Uh, even right. the example of making a mess that I gave uh, last week, where we said, you know, it's funny when you see somebody sighted do it, then you're like, oh, okay, I can do it too. Um, whereas if you don't, then any little mistake you make, which anybody else may very well make, um, you will also you will always, always feel worse about it because there wasn't a sighted person around to say, oh, I've done that. Mm -hmm. How about accepting rides from people? Obviously we can't drive legally. <laughs> we are physically capable of the act of driving <laughs> that's right uh whether it's whether it's logistically safe or not is a completely different conversation so i know for me unless i know that the person is going my way um if if i feel like they have to go out of their way to give me a ride i will always say no even if i really want one and that is this like, I don't want you to think that I'm not capable of getting home on my own. I don't want you to think I expected you to drive me home. I don't want you to think I'm helpless or needy in any way. I'm independent. I want you to know that. So all of that internalized ableism raises its ugly head. Mm -hmm. And I can't just say, oh, thank you so much. Yes, I would love a ride because yeah. it, it always comes back to like, it's because I'm blind that you're offering. And of course, this this bleeds into much more than rides. Even if you're at a group event and if uh, someone offers to get your food, it may simply be just a genuine act of kindness. Uh, you know, but as a blind person, your first conclusion will always be, oh, it's because I can't see. So it, I'll take up time or mm. uh, I'll make a mess while I'm trying to do, or, you know, or, you know, I'm preventing them from getting their own food when what you don't realize is that person might would would offer the same thing to anybody else you know who wasn't in line right then uh if someone was standing off at the side chatting someone might just say oh do you want me to get you you want you want me to just get the plate for you right. um and so of course you know Sean Sean's example of rides is a great one and this that's why this uh saying yes to help is so complicated um and i've had some people tell me that well there's nothing wrong with accepting help. And I go, well, there's anything wrong, but it brings up a lot of complicated emotions. 
Um, and I, I have, I can totally relate because I'm also like that. I don't want to feel like a burden and I don't want to feel like, um, you know, I'm making them go out of their way. Um, I have a friend who offers rides to anybody, um, whether they're on, you know, their way home or not. Um, and this person is just genuinely a kind person who will drop anybody off because they want to make sure they get home. They want to do that for the other person, regardless of where they live. Yet for me, whenever they ask me, part of my brain goes, no, I don't live in the same direction as them. Do I want to say yes, or do I want to say no? And so it's a very, it's a very hard, very fine line, I think. I think it also, like, I am so sensitive to people's um, subtle changes in tone. Absolutely. So even my husband, if I, even with my husband, though, I, it's, I'm helping pay for the vehicle for crying out loud, but I still don't usually ask for a ride. Like I have to, Uh if it's pouring rain and I'm, you know, maybe, and he's, he's not doing anything. I might, can you drive me to the sky train or something? But, but if I do ask and there's any bit of anything in his tone, that's yep. at all negative. Yes. I'm like, never mind. Yes. Don't worry yes. about it. No, it's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll get, I'll get there myself. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. he's like, what? I said, yes. I'm like, no, but you said yes with you a tone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, I uh, am asking him to yeah. get off the couch and drive uh-huh. me, which is probably yeah. not his, Exactly. First choice of what he so sure. he's obviously going to have a bit of a tone of like of yeah course. I could take I could drive you yeah and that's all it is it's not but it's mean. not it's not that he doesn't want to or you know yeah it's it's more that he hadn't considered that before but now yeah. he's considering it but yeah. in that hesitation I'm just like yeah. forget it yeah <laughs> we read we read all sorts of crap into it that isn't actually there yes right and I think that's that's the really hard part. I'm curious uh, to get both your thoughts on this. So I was, I was at a cafe uh, last week and I was getting a drink to go because I was in a rush and um, the barista asked me whether, uh, whether I would like her to uh, just uh, put the straw in the cup for me. And I said, you know what? I don't know where the straws are. And normally I would feel super awkward about saying yes. But I, I don't know if this was some, this was just a new revel, a, a day of epiphanies for me or something. And I just kind of thought to myself, I said, you know what? Why is it so wrong to say yes sometimes when someone offers? Because I, I know, and I think the two of you could probably relate to this. When someone offers you something like that, uh, you, you, there, there is a cringe reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if sometimes we don't overthink that too much. And again, we read stuff into it that's not there. And if the straws are like, way over on the other side of the counter and if we can't find them rather than groping for them i think part of the internalized ableism that we feel a lot of the time is this idea that i have to find it myself and i have to uh i have to show you that i can i have to show you that i can put a straw in my drinking cup right if i don't then there's obviously something wrong with me right (laughs) you know that's funny because the straw thing happened to me but in a different way recently where Uh. the person 
my my companion at the time brought me my drink and the straw and started to you you know he was kind of like I'll just unwrap this straw for you right and and I'm like it's okay I can do that myself but yeah. in in the situation you're describing in fact at Starbucks I will often well back in the day I used to say could you please put a lid on it for me yeah because before that I would be trying all the different lids I'd be feeling yeah. all the lids yeah, looking for exactly. the one that was going to fit which exactly. I'm sure the people don't enjoy all the different like drink mixins you can put into it yeah mm. well it's I mean in your scenario maybe I would have said you could just give me my if you can give me the straw maybe uh -huh. I would have it's also like a germaphobe thing of like don't right, touch my right. straw don't touch my straw. <laughs> don't yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we've just lived through a pandemic yeah, <laughs> I'll do it myself thank you but if yeah. I had to find the straw that's a whole other story and yeah I right. don't want to mess around feeling all over the place right. for the straws because so, I just realized to me like you know in that particular context I said it would look it would look weirder if I just started, you know, running my hands all over the counter. Yes. You know, especially, yeah, you know, because Sean, just as I so aptly put it, we are still in the middle of a pandemic where you shouldn't <laughs> be touching things. Yes. So I felt like running my hands all over the counter trying to find the straw mm -hmm. would have been worse, more work. And I just realized it, it was a real epiphany moment for me. I said, that's what internal, that's what internalized ableism really looks like is yeah. those instances where we say, no, I'm good. I'll like, take the harder choice. Thank stubbornly, you. Stubbornly, even when it's perfectly okay to accept someone's kind offer of, hey, would mm -hmm. you like me to find you a straw and just put it in for you? Because it's yeah. closer to me than it is to you. Times that strangers has offered to help and I said no and then brought out Ira to do it for me instead. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Um, and again, that's... like it's easier to walk around with someone describing you something than walking with your phone in front of your face totally sure. that's sure. a great example that's a, that's a very good example and you know this this really feeds it really well into um this idea that we have to overcome every single uh presumption there is about being someone with a disability um and so we will always we will always 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 take these harder routes out because we feel this need to prove ourselves even when we don't have to Mm -hmm. And it's almost this kind of, well, this is why it's called internalized ableism, because it's this pressure that we put on ourselves. Uh -huh. Okay, so another big one for me is feeling imbalanced in a friendship because ah. of the extra needs I have related yes. to my blindness. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is obviously with friends that are sighted mm -hmm. or that don't have a disability. I, I don't have these issues with friends with disabilities because I can while they understand yeah i don't know we help each other out just yeah. naturally but this is a really big one for me and me as, i think it, well. it gets in the way of yes. forming a new friendship right it's yeah, like it does if you're gonna ask somebody if they want to go out for lunch but then the next thing is like well can you pick me up on yeah. your way to the restaurant and, and then when we get there is can you read the menu and <laughs> yes can we and find a table we, and yeah exactly which maybe are small things but then over the course of the whole event they kind of add up and it feels like are we balanced because yeah. I already feel imbalanced or I feel indebted or I feel guilty yeah and then it's hard to just relax and enjoy I, the encounter I, I don't know about you Sean but I always have this fear of when is it going to be too much? Like, yeah. when am I finally going to ask the question that they just go, ah, 
like this <laughs> straw that broke the camel's back. I'm gone. I'm done. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I have that. It's a it's a very real fear, and I don't I don't know if I can share this really quick story. There's uh, a good friend of mine, same friend who is uh, the photo nut that I described from last week. Um, we were at Kids Beach the other day uh, with a group, and she was taking photos, and I was walking with her, and I said, "Hey, if you know, I you know just as a polite offer, I said, hey, you know, just let me let me know if you get tired of guiding me." Uh, I can ask one of the others. And she said, what do you mean tired? I said, well, I mean, you're guiding me and I know you want to take photos and stuff and, you know, just let, let me know. And she's like, we're just walking together. Who's, who's guiding who? And that was such, that's such a refreshing, it feels like, like Sean was talking about that balance being restored. And, you know, but, but even before that was this idea that I had to make sure you know, it's like putting weights on scales, right? It's like you had, I had to do everything to try and flatten it out and make it even as mm-hmm. possible. And then when she said that, it was like, <gasps> that weight disappeared. Yeah, I think we forget what we bring to yeah. the friendship, right? Like, yeah. we're fun to be around. Maybe we're, I don't know, lots of, qual- I mean, I, I have yeah. had to really like, really stop and think what do I bring (laughs) Uh and and I need some validation and reminders sometimes that I do bring something right and but of course it's not it's never validating if another disabled person tells you no it has to come from it has to come from someone's side no it's not like you're not a burden you're You're not too much kind you're fun to be around I like hanging out with you yes you know, it doesn't matter if, um, you know, I can call my blind friend and vent all I want and they can say, well, you know, you're, you're a great person. You're nice to talk to and you make people feel welcome. And I'll go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all those people listening who have a friend who's blind, tell them that you love them. Yeah. <laughs> tell them that you appreciate their qualities. Not, not, that. not for our, not for our egos. Just, no, you know, just cause they need to uh, know they're not too it much is, work. <laughs> it is, it is genuinely helpful. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound like we're fishing for compliments because I, you know, and this comes, this is another example of internalized ableism is I deal, I cannot handle compliments hmm. very well. Uh, because whenever someone says, oh, you did such a good job at translating a church today, or you're, you know, you're, the music was so good today. My automatic reflex is, is that all they see about the blind guy? Or is there more? Or is it, were their expectations super low to yeah, begin exactly, with? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like they didn't expect me to be able to do that because I'm blind. So that's uh-huh. why they're impressed. Not just because uh-huh. I did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe this is a good place to bring this up because I had an incident on the weekend Ooh. and um, my husband and I were doing the grouse grind, which uh-huh. is this crazy climb, this crazy hike in Vancouver. It's really tough. It's, we have a uh, documentary on it. That's right. Do Shout the grind out to blind. Do the grind blind. Accessible media made a documentary about uh, nine of Blind Beginnings' youth and myself climbing the grind um, four years ago. So I hadn't done the gross grind since then. I thought that I was a lot fitter now than I was then. And it turns out maybe I'm not. But anyway, so we're climbing, we're, we're struggling our way up. And this guy comes up behind us and says, To my husband, you're a good husband. And 
instantly I'm thinking all these things like, uh, uh, I'm making him do this. I'm making him guide me. It's extra work to guide me. This is a really treacherous trail. Uh, it's a really hard hike. Maybe he didn't want to, maybe he's only doing it because he, you know, wants to please me like all these things. And so the first, and he didn't, he didn't respond and I didn't respond. But then of course the guy says it again, a few minutes later, you're a good Mm -hmm. husband. And I said, I asked him like four times if he was sure he wanted to do this. And he said, it doesn't matter. He's still a good husband. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, you mean because he married me in the first Uh place (laughs) because I'm blind. Uh And so I was so upset. I was like, I mean, it's like grueling doing the grind anyway. It's a mental struggle. But when you've got that messaging in your head, like, yeah. And that person is still around and constantly saying it. Yes. I'm less than, and I'm Uh lucky that this Uh man married me. Like you don't know me. You don't know Uh him. You don't know anything Uh about our marriage, but you're just making that assumption because I'm blind. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the like prime example too of like a lot of the ableism, internalized ableism we have, we're not born with it. It always comes from somewhere. Yeah, totally. So it was, yeah, it, it sucked. And we kept seeing him and he kept talking to us. And, and funnily enough, eventually the last time we saw him, he said, well, actually, so in between after those comments, the next time he said, I'm really proud of your wife, which I was like, okay, now you're acknowledging me, but you're still not talking, you're not talking to me. me. You're talking about me in front Uh of me. Uh And then the last time we saw him, he said, I have MS too. And I'm like, I don't have MS, but I think what he meant is I have a disability too. And I, and then I realized, okay, dude, and your internalized ableism is just oozing out all over the place. Oozing out all over the place. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So then Uh it's sort of, but that was near the end. I'd gone through this whole emotional upheaval inside myself through that climb, right? Just feeling really crappy. And then to find out you have a disability and you assume that, you know, to get an able-bodied person to marry you is like yeah, this big huge deal or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. So for some of us, and I will, I will admit I am guilty. Um, my internalized ableism has definitely turned into overcompensating. Yes. So I want to shatter all the stereotypes and I, and this started like in high school, I was like, I want to be the best at something. And whether it's like playing the flute or playing the piano or what, you know, whatever, I just wanted to find my thing. And then I, I became an athlete and I was like, well, maybe I could be the best at my sport and literally had to try a couple different sports, three <laughs> and wasn't the best at any of them in the end. But I was just so like, I have to show people that I'm still capable, even though I'm blind and have really pushed myself. And it's probably in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so that I've started to question, like, why am I doing this? Like, am Mm -hmm. I doing these things because I want to, or am I doing them because I'm trying to prove something? And once you start down that kind of a road with that kind of a pattern, it's hard to stop. Yep. Yeah. Like I struggle with that because even now, like when I want to study nutritional sciences, I do like the subject, but I always wonder in the back of my head is, do I really like it or am I just doing it so I can 
basically say I told you so to everyone in my life who said I can't do sciences. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, totally. It's mm-hmm. kind of a form of rebelling, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't think I'm capable? I'll show you. Watch me. <laughs> but it was more than that for me. I actually mm-hmm. believed that that nobody expected me to amount to anything. Uh-huh. And so I was like, no, but I want to amount to something. Yeah. Like, I don't want to not am- I I want to be worthy of being here and that but I had to that's because of the belief that I thought I wasn't right like uh-huh, it's so uh-huh. complicated uh-huh. Um, and I mean now I think about blind beginnings and our positive philosophy no limits and I you know I literally talk to children and youth and say that your blindness does, is not a bad thing and that you can do and be anything and and try to like flip everything on its head and erase all of those all of those ableist views and assumptions but then I might forget to mention sometimes that yeah we do still hear them and there you know it does still exist and yeah and I struggle too so okay so that that leads us to inspiration porn So the definition of inspiration porn is the use of disabled people performing ordinary tasks as a form of inspiration. So when people are inspired by the fact that we're just out in the world living our lives, so not yeah. based on, it's kind of like, oh, you still you still exist, even though, you know, like the assumption that if I was blind, I would just want to end my life, but you're here, so you're inspiring is kind mm-hmm. of, it's a pretty low bar. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a hard one for people to understand, I think, why this is offensive. Um, I mean, that that just leads down to all sorts of places where people say things like, oh, you are so inspirational because you cross the street mm-hmm. um, or you just paid for your own, <laughs> you paid for your own food, heaven forbid. <laughs> um, I've had people literally walk past me on the sidewalk and say, you're doing great. Yep. I, I get that yeah. all the time. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> How do you know? I just want to let you know you're doing such a great job. And I'm like, great job of what? I'm lost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, I've had that too. <gasps> the intersections with when you press the buttons, like one person when I was done was like, oh, you're so good at knowing which button to press, yeah. lining up. And I'm like, thanks. Or on the bus, I had someone tell me that I'm really good at watching YouTube videos. <laughs> That's a good one. This is, when you go, this is when you go, I'm in my 20s. If I'm not good at watching YouTube, that's a problem. <laughs> and it, and then the other one is just, you're amazing. You're amazing. So I get this from strangers at a bus stop. Like, yep. I might be amazing. Like, there might be some things I've done in my life that are amazing. But the fact that I'm standing at the bus stop is not one of them. Uh-huh. And you don't know anything about me. You're basing it on the fact that I'm standing at a bus stop waiting for a bus and that's that's why is that amazing that's not amazing the problem with inspiration porn is that people are looking for feel-good stories because that's what the media likes and any kind of story that brings a little tear to your eye will sound good and part of ableism is this idea that doing the simplest things as a disabled person is so amazing because of one of the assumptions that we talked about last week, which was how our lives are all terrible and dark and grim and sad. Um, So the fact that we can get out of the bed in the morning and dress ourselves and walk out of the door Mm -hmm. is inspirational. 
So I think if you are a person who is amazed by people with disabilities and their ability to just get on with life and do their thing, just consider how you would feel if somebody told you you were amazing for just the basic things you do, right? Like getting up and getting dressed and going to work. Like that's not amazing. That's just what we got to do. I think yeah. it's just, it's really hard. I've, I've gotten into arguments about this with members of yeah. my family even. So, so, so have I. They're so like, but I you are amazing. Of... And I'm like, I'm not amazing because I can vacuum. And they're like, yeah, actually that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it yeah. isn't. Or whenever I hear, I, I get stories about uh, just really blatantly ableist things that go on uh, in Asia from, you know, where my parents come from. And they'll say, that's so amazing. And I almost cried and I'll, I'll roll my eyes and I'll go, Oh gosh, here you go again. And they get, they get, they get defensive because they'll go, why is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. You know? And so, yeah, the, these arguments do come up. So, you know, yeah, Sean made a great point. If you are amazed at the fact that when you, when you watch a person in a wheelchair going down the street, if that inspires you, think about whether it would inspire you to be able to walk down the street, mm -hmm. live in your life. Yeah. And you know, if it does, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't tell us you're inspired. Don't not tell saying us that amazing. it's not saying that it's bad. Yeah. You know what? That that's a great point. Is and you know what? You know, we I think we ex I think we all accept that, yeah, there are some people who are going to be inspired by the fact that a blind person can cross the street. And don't get me wrong, like I love being celebrated for my accomplishments. If yes. I've done something worthy yes. of of yes, celebrating of celebration exactly then, yeah pat me on the back tell yeah, me please, i'm please you know. please please compliment me <laughs> <laughs> right i'm totally okay with that but uh -huh. it's just sort of that every day just showing up in the world the mundane amazing. stuff you know yeah yeah so i feel like there's kind of the stereotypical um helpless blind person but then there's also the other the side yeah that kind of overachieving yep what i saw on the internet referred to as super crip which is kind of this archetype of a person with a disability who's conquering everything who's yeah, doing who does, amazing who does things. do that job of shattering every single stereotype that there is about yeah that disability and and the reality is we're probably neither. Most of us are yeah, somewhere, in, us the are somewhere mm -hmm. in the middle. Exactly, exactly. Right. We're not helpless, but we're also not, you know, climbing Mount Everest. It's the same with able-bodied people. Like there are some, who, you know, might have certain struggles and then there's some who might just have amazing achievements. Yep. Those are small percentages. And I'd say 98% of the population does fall in the middle for both disabled people and able-bodied people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, when you watch the Paralympics and you see these athletes who, you know, are, are representing, like they're, they're trying to be the best in their sport and they're competing. And, and I have been a Paralympic athlete, so I totally get that, you know, I'm, I'm there. I was with them, but that's a small percentage of people with disabilities, just mm -hmm. as 
able-bodied athletes who go to the Olympics are not most of us, not everybody goes to the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that, and I don't think it would be fair for us to judge every able-bodied person against an Olympic athlete. Uh So we shouldn't be comparing disabled people against disabled Paralympic Paralympic athletes, right? It's kind of Uh like most of us aren't going to be that. Yeah. And and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, I know, I know some people who say, well, if you're going to play a sport that's in the Paralympics then you have to shoot for the Paralympics. And I go, why? Yeah. You know, why can't I just play the sport? Because I just like the sport. Mm -hmm. I feel Um, like this is my internalized ableism coming up. Cause again, I feel very compelled to like have to go to the Paralympics for swimming. Mm. Well, there's a difference between just like naturally being competitive and wanting to be the best and like you keep you keep some people are competitive and some people aren't I guess is what I would say so I just it's like once you say you go to provincials and you do well then you want to go to nationals and see how yeah. well you can do and then yeah. you do well you there wanna, and then you, you want to like, push higher right? yeah like how so, far can I go with this yeah. right but of course that's that's where you have to check your motivations right and you have to say well why do I want to shoot for the Paralympics? Is it, is it because I'm competitive and I want to do the best I can? Or do I want to shatter these things just to prove a point? Not, not that either of those circumstances, not that either of those you know, perspectives is bad. Um, well, but- if, you're, if you're not doing it for yourself, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work to be doing it point. to prove something. That's a good point. Um, I, th- I don't really know, honestly, like, I think it, when I started competing, it was like, I want to be the best. I want to excel uh-huh. at something. Yeah. But by the time I actually got to the Paralympics, you know, it was like, I'd love to finish top half in the world. I just wanted to like, sort of achieve this goal that I had yeah. set for myself so many years ago. Yeah. And honestly, I just wanted all the Canada clothes. I wanted the swag, man. It was, I wanted to wear the uniform and walk around and I mean, it's stuff, right? And you know, that was, that was the thing for me as well. Right. You know, I, I can, I wanted to do the best I could. And if I, I shot for the highest as I, that I could go and the, you know, the Paralympics was it at one point, but then I did, you know, I represented, I represented Canada twice at an international tournament. And that's not something a lot of people can say. Yeah. And I got to, I got to a point where I just said, you know, maybe I don't have to be in the Paralympics to still have achieved something. I just wanted to play the sport. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, even just in, in anything, some people are do sport for recreation and others can't do it without getting competitive. Or I don't want to, you know, I want to challenge myself or be competitive to challenge myself. I don't want to do it because people expect me to, or because I have a point to prove. Because like Sean said, it's a lot of work just to prove a point, you know, and there's better ways to do that. So I think this has been a really fabulous conversation. And I hope that people listening have, have learned something. And if you do recognize yourself in some of the examples that we've given and you're wondering or or thinking that maybe you have some ableist beliefs um what can you do and i think i mean i would say consider how you would feel if somebody was saying some of these things to you if it's absurd to be said to you it's probably absurd 
to be said to us as well. So that whole, you're amazing. Um, or can I pray for you or, you know, any of those, um, asking us about, about our eye condition is a very personal question. If we're a stranger, that's probably not appropriate. Would you, how would you feel if somebody asked you something personal about a condition of yours? Mm -hmm. So I think when you can sort of compare to your own experience, that's a good marker of whether this maybe is appropriate or not. And I think spend time with people with disabilities. That's, that's really the best way to learn. I guess. Absolutely. There's nothing, there's nothing that will teach you more about disability than forming a friendship with somebody that isn't based on the disability, whether it's somebody in your community or somebody who your friends know, or, uh, some, you know, your friend's child or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, I would say like watch the interactions that happen and and then ask about it, right? If you're yeah. if you're in our lives, you're in that inner circle. That uh -huh. what we've been talking about here is really interactions from complete strangers. So, if you're in our lives, I guess not everything is is an interaction from a complete stranger, but um it's okay to ask like, oh, that person said, asked you that really bizarre question. Like, how did that make you feel? Or are you okay with that? Or was that offensive? Like you can check in with us about stuff. I would, I would, I would also encourage people now that you've heard this and now that you're aware of these, keep your eyes open because sometimes as much as we may talk about it, it doesn't register until some people see it for themselves. I've had multiple friends who uh, I've talked to on multiple occasions about this exact subject and, you know, they, they understand and they're empathetic and they're compassionate, but when they see something happens, it's like a light bulb. And I think something to take note of is that it's okay to not be perfect and ask questions. I, as you've heard in this podcast with our own internalized ableism, even we have thoughts and even we're not perfect as part of the disabled community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, fumbles and like mistakes are going to happen and things are going to be maybe said and, and reconsidered and it's okay. <laughs> I think the first part is just listening, right? Listening to mm -hmm. this, this conversation yep. and sure. taking it in and, and being willing to try to be a little bit better next time. That's all. Absolutely. Open dialogue is the Open key. Dialogue. It is. And once again, I just really wanted to emphasize that we're not pointing fingers at anyone, that yes. these experiences are, are just those. They are experiences. We are not demonizing anyone by any means. This is we, just... We, uh, we love able-bodied people. Yes, <laughs> we do. We do. We're thankful for we're thankful for you guys, even though sometimes we probably don't do the best job of showing it. And you know, but this is really meant to be a conversation starter and a a, a doorway to dialogue. So, yeah, and we also understand if you haven't had an, a person with a disability in your life that y this is new, and you maybe mm -hmm. don't like. We we appreciate and understand mm -hmm. that. So yes. Well, thanks you guys for being here for these two episodes. Of course, it was this a pleasure. This has been epic. I'm so thankful that we had this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great discussion. It was indeed. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. 
please share these episodes with with your friends and family spread the word like and subscribe and please join us again next time this podcast has been brought to you by blind beginnings an organization based in vancouver canada that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families music for this podcast is composed by sean bishop and clement chow production and audio editing by rob minot For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.